Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pamela Rickia, and this is episode number 257 of the podcast. It's the 23rd of December, 2020, as I record this intro. And this week, I'm joined by Allie Walker, an unschooling mom and primatologist living in New Zealand. I have gotten to know Allie in the Living Joyfully Network, where she has shared some incredible insights about parenting and unschooling through her lens as a primate researcher focusing on the mother-infant bond. Allie details some of the realizations she has made during her journey as a mother, including the need to be present and available for very important sitting, the importance of interdependence and connection, and how self-care fits into her unschooling life. Her perspective is fascinating, and I'm excited to share our conversation. As a personal update, we're having lots of fun this week, hanging out, going for walks, and playing games. (laughs) And there's more of that to come, so it's just lovely. And I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. And a big welcome to new patron, Dion Mayer. Hi, Dion. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support helps pay for the hosting and transcription, as well as my time spent creating new episodes each week. It's instrumental in keeping the growing podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's dive into my conversation with Allie. Welcome. I'm Ham Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Allie Walker. Hi, Allie. Hi. (laughs) Now, we have gotten to know each other over the last few months in the network, and I am so excited to learn more about your unschooling journey. So to get us started, can you share with us a bit about you and your family and what everybody's into right now? Yeah, absolutely. So we live on the Kapiti Coast in New Zealand. I am originally from the States, as you can hear, (laughs) though sometimes a few Kiwi words come out, so (laughs) forgive me, I get confused. Um, so it's me, myself and my husband, Glenn, um, and our two daughters, Lila and Hazel. Lila's four and Hazel's two. And then, of course, we have our dog, Ziggy, and our cat, Jin, who are also <laughs> integral members of our family. And um, yeah, let's see, what are we all interested in? Glenn is a computer programmer, and he works at Weta Digital. So it's, uh, yeah, that's pretty fun having like the movie side of things because we both love storytelling (laughs) and movies um right now I think his biggest hobby is probably following all the COVID-19 research Mm -hmm. so he is very up to date on all of the science and all the latest studies and he uh you know regales me with the latest research every day and (laughs) and so that is I think probably his biggest interest at the moment is following lots of epidemiologists on Twitter and things like that and then um, also just uh, we lo- both love traveling. He said, he, I asked him, you know, what are your interests before this? And he said, um, uh, 
traveling and hiking. Um, so we're both very outdoorsy. We met living in Guatemala. So <laughs> we're both, you know, big fans of travel. Um, not this year, <laughs> but most years. Um, and then Lila, uh, she's four. And her, she, I, I say that uh, she has a storyteller's heart. Uh, she just loves story in all of its forms. So she loves books and she loves TV shows and she loves imagination play. And she just has this incredible, vast imagination when you see her getting with her toys and all of the stories she creates with them. And she's also a word lover. She loves finding like the perfect word for things. So she started talking really early. Um, and she just, it's the funniest thing when you find the right word and she discovers a new word, it's like you've given her this little trinket, this little gift, and she receives it as such, you know. I think yesterday the word, she was talking about being hungry and the word we said was ravenous. And you could just see in her brain going, ooh, ravenous. Oh, that's great. And she's tucking that one, you know, away for later, um, which I just love about her, just that love of words. And, uh, you know, Hazel, who's two, is the complete opposite. She just really doesn't care about talking. She has a couple words, but she's just not really interested. And, um, and yet she's a great communicator, you know, she, she doesn't use words, but she will tell you exactly what she wants. You know, she'll go to the front door and she'll get her shoes on or she'll go to, you know, the rocking chair and bring back like a snuggly blanket. You know, she, she and to the point now where in the kitchen, we know if she goes to this part of the countertop, she wants, you know, a piece of toast. And if she goes to this part of the countertop, she wants this snack. So She's very good at letting us know what she wants. And she is her, like, an in-her-body kid. She just experiences the world so much through her physical body. And so she's exploring, running, jumping, climbing, you know, loves going on walks and hiking. And she is such an um, astute observer of things. She will watch someone do something once and then just, like, she knows she knows how to do it. And it's incredible to watch her just really kind of really tuned in and watching people. And um, lately, I think her big thing is uh, exploring really intricate, detailed things. So like, um, I have a bag of like old jewelry, I found at an op shop. And, and she'll just take each piece out and really inspect it and then lay it out very methodically, you know, on the table in the same order each time and then put it all back again. And I just, I love, like, I just want to know what's going on in her head in those moments, because it's incredible just watching her really inspect each piece and really be thinking about it. And she does that with books too. She's not really interested in being read to, but she loves inspecting each page of the book. Um, so yeah, she's a very like uh, detailed minded child and also just like a very physical child she explores through her hands and through touching and you know and through running and moving and dancing and yeah um <laughs> and then for me I'm I'm a bit of a hobby hopper <laughs> I like to say <laughs> I uh yeah I, I'm I'm always picking up interest and leaving interest but I think probably one of the themes through most of my hobbies is storytelling 
I love reading. I love writing. I love watching movies and TV shows and theater and music and that kind of general storytelling vibe. And I also really love uh, reading about the latest uh, animal research. So um, I used to be a wildlife rehabilitator. So whenever there's new news and conservation locally and globally, I love keeping up to date and, you know, a good animal fun fact or, you know, some new discovery is always super exciting for me. But I think my biggest hobby is probably unschooling, you know? So I think that's probably the thing that I spend the most of my, you know, mental energy on is exploring what my children are doing, you know, observing them, seeing what they're doing, participating in the Living Joyfully Network and, uh, you know, just connecting with people who are also unschooling. And um, yeah, I think that's probably my biggest hobby. You know, you have two little <laughs> kids is, is just thinking about unschooling them. <laughs> Oh, I can't can't fault you on that one. That has been my, <laughs> one of my big hobbies for many years. But thank you so much for what you shared. I'm just, I love, first off, you know, seeing everybody's different interests and just imagining and envisioning you guys all just flowing together in these different pockets. Like I love Glenn's, you know, focus right now on COVID-19 research, Right. how things flow through our lives, just depending on the context of our lives in the moment. And it's all okay. It doesn't have to be a job or it doesn't have to, you know, have some bigger purpose other than being super interesting to us. Right. Right. Definitely. (laughs) And then listening to the way you described your kids. Oh my goodness. Like what hit me so much is like that unschooling piece, like you're observing them, right? And you see so much of of who they are through what they're choosing to do, like knowing that a new word is just delicious (laughs) for Lila, right? And being able to have that conversation and bring that to her and recognizing Hazel's um, clues like like you said, she communicates so well physically, like mm. she has a whole different approach to the way she engages with life, right? So being able to notice those and, and use those just as equally, value them just as equally as words from somebody else saying, you know, oh, I want a nurse. Oh, I want to go outside. Oh, I want this from the kitchen. Like there's no judgment as to as to a better way to communicate at all. There both really embracing who they are and just like living that fully. That just sounds so wonderful. (laughs) Definitely. I think that's like so important is that um, really just valuing the things they value and, you know, communicating and interacting with them that way instead of trying to make Lila more like Hazel or Hazel more like Lila, you know, both of them talking more, both of them doing more physical things. It's like just letting them kind of each shine in their own way. (laughs) Yeah, that I, and it doesn't preclude them picking up the other things, but what it does is it really shows respect for who they are, right? And letting them totally. go with their strengths that are right now without any judgment, which, because like, you don't want to put them in that box either, right? That's the wonderful thing is you can fully embrace who they are and, and respect that and work with it and be with that. 
and also give them the space to grow. Like that's one of the things I love about, you know, the focus on curiosity is it's just so interesting to see where they go, what they do when they wake up the next day, isn't it? Because you just kind of yes. know. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most exciting thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I would be curious as to learn how you discovered unschooling and what your family's move to unschooling has looked like so far. Yeah, it's been it's been kind of an interesting backwards journey almost for us because we've been coming at it in little steps in my mind for years even before having children. Mm-hmm. So um, the first real awakening for me was Gunn and I used to be big fans of um, the Wellington International Film Festival. And so we'd go see like 30 movies in two weeks and I would get the you know brochure and I'd select all these ones. And there was one that we went to go see called Being and Becoming. And, <laughs> and I was just, it just blew my mind. You know, it was, it was all of a sudden, I had never asked the question, why do we go to school? I hadn't really even begun to think about that. And it was one of those things that I, and I've experienced this many times in my life that once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yes. You know? <laughs> once that question's asked, you can't unask it. And um, it turned into like a month long deep dive for me of reading about why school is set up the way it is and reading how children learn and, you know, just all of the books and videos I could find. And I, I was just I was fascinated by it. And I we didn't have children yet, um, but I just thought this would be so cool. <laughs> I just kept thinking, this doesn't this make so much sense? And of course, I come from a primatology background. And so I'm, I'm, you know, a very big fan of the kind of like natural way of rhythms of life and family dynamics. And so all of that was already very appealing to me. <laughs> and so it was kind of like these two worlds collided. And um, so I had that kind of like percolating in the back of my mind. And then it kind of got put on the shelf and life carried on. And then we had Lila. And at the time I was living in the city and almost all of the mom friends I had made when she was born were all, you know, um, very focused on their careers and going back to work. And so, you know, I was kind of a little bit left of center in that group and being like, I'm just going to raise her like a monkey, you know, <laughs> I'm just a little bit different in my priorities. Um, and so I, I, but at the same time, I was kind of living this dual life where you know, I kind of was on the treadmill a bit of what is expected of us with Lila. And at the same time, I was listening to your podcast and I was, you know, reading your books and watching YouTube videos and like doing all of these things about unschooling and kind of having almost this uh, living daydream of wouldn't this be great if we did this, but not actually doing it. We were kind of doing it at home a little bit because I was so you know, focused with Lila when she was a baby on listening to her rhythms. And, you know, she's never had a bedtime. She's very much been in charge of, you know, what she eats and how she goes about her day. And um, so we were already kind of, it was already appealing. But then when she was a little before three, she started going to like a daycare preschool. They call it preschool or kindy here, but yeah, like a daycare thing a couple of days a week. And um just because it that just felt like what you were expected to do, you know, <laughs> it just kind of was that was the next step for us. And um, 
And I remember thinking it like there was just this resistance in me at the time of thinking, well, maybe when she turns five, we'll start unschooling, you know, or maybe, you know, we could do this. I'm listening to all these people and I'm really, I find it really appealing, but I'm not actually doing it. And um, it was really Lila who kind of flipped the switch and pushed us over the line. So <laughs> she wasn't unhappy. Well, I think she was actually, but she, she, it didn't seem that she was unhappy. Knowing her the way I know her now, I, I know that she's not a big fan of big groups of people and loud noises and she doesn't like her flow being interrupted to like go have a snack or go read a story. So it makes sense now why, you know, daycare wouldn't have been appealing to her. And so we were walking home one day and I was feeling every time I left her there, kind of like just icky about it, really. Just this feeling of this doesn't feel like what we're meant to be doing. And I remember this like vivid image of looking at her through the window as she was sitting in their little circle and she just seemed a bit deflated, you know, it was just like that light was dimmed a bit and it just made me feel like, oh, I don't know, (laughs) I don't want to be doing this anymore. And so when we were walking home one day, she said to me very, very matter of factly, you know, very logically and, you know, you know, I don't want to go anymore. I think I I think I'd rather stay home. And she said, you know, I'll be really quiet, which kind of broke my heart because Hazel was a newborn at the time. And she obviously got the idea, I think, in her head that we were maybe sending her to school so that she wouldn't interrupt nap times and things. And, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, going to, uh, you know, preschool is way better than sitting on the iPad and, you know, watching videos during nap time. I mean, little did I know now. (laughs) But, but, uh, you know, at the time I'm thinking, oh, she's painting and building blocks. This is vastly superior, you know, to just hanging at home with us. Um, But when she said that and she said, you know, I don't want to go anymore. This is pleading my case, you know, at two. (laughs) I, it was it was a switch really flipped in me in that moment where it was like, you know, that feeling when you're just you're so in love with someone and you love them so fiercely. And you, that just kind of immediately superseded any idea of like perceived judgments or expectations from the outside world. All of a sudden, all of that just like didn't matter. <laughs> and I was like, right. OK, this is what we're doing. And it was like that switch flipped and we were on on our way and we called the school the next day and bless him Glenn was like I was like we're on schoolers now (laughs) (laughs) you know come on board I've been I'll show you this like backlog of five years of research that I've done (laughs) and um and away we went yeah (laughs) that's amazing that's amazing and you know what I totally feel you when when you know talking about when it's for our kids like all of a sudden, it's just so much easier to do, right? Like we see it in our heads, you know, you were learning about it and it's like, oh, I could see us doing that someday. I could see it. But, you know, to get over that hump of doing something so unexpected and unconventional, right? You need kind of often need that kind of push, like that reason. But yeah, as soon as we get that that little clue from our kids and they say, hey, it it is so much easier. I feel to just say, oh, okay, yeah, now I can do it. Like for them, 
you know, I'll move heaven and earth just so that, you know, we can do the thing that works better. (laughs) So I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, that, that is often an interesting piece of the journey. How, how much easier it is when you're doing it for them. We can see, like, I can see all those pieces of the puzzle you put together, seeing her through the window, seeing those bits, even that thinking about, you know, wouldn't that day be more fun for her there than being here? But the minute, you know, she says, no, you know, being with you guys and her reasoning that she had thought out, I'll be quiet. Like, all of that is just so beautiful and so, like, human and Mm. so wonderful that you reacted to that you know instead of poo-pooing that you know that you could reinforce for her that that feeling was valid and and helpful and useful so that's awesome and I'm glad Glenn came along (laughs) story of our life you know he's always coming along So has he been, uh, you know, did you just share the information with them, have a conversation with them? Like, did, did he come to understand what was going on pretty easily? Or what did that look like a bit? Yeah, well, I mean, we were lucky that we saw that documentary together. Yeah. And then, I I mean, for every hobby or interest I have, he kind of just <laughs> listened to my brain dumps on him about, oh, did you read this and listen to this thing? And isn't this fascinating? What do you think about that? So I've been kind of talking his ear off about the idea of it for ages. And, you know, he met me when I was a wildlife rehabilitator in Guatemala. So I've been talking about, um, you know, primatology and parenting uh, for our whole relationship. So he kind of (laughs) understood. I think he knew, he got the clue very early on that um, I was probably going to raise our children in a (laughs) primatological way. (laughs) So I don't think it was a huge shock to him that I wanted to do this. Well, I mean, that leads so beautifully into our next question, because I would love to hear some of the ways that your primatology experience has influenced your experience with your kids. Like, how have you brought that in in your lives? I I mean, it's like the lens through which I see everything, really. It's very hard for me to shut it off, actually. I'm oh, primates do this, you know, this reminds me of this thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm constantly just, you know, insert comment about primates here <laughs> <laughs> with people in general. But I mean, particularly my field of interest and in what I was researching and studying um, was maternal care in primates. Um, so I particularly was interested in the influence in maternal care in orphan primates and their later success in life. Um, so what happens quite often is that people think baby monkeys make good pets and they get taken from their mothers. And when they're rescued and rehabilitated, um, you have to create some form of maternal care for them or they won't be successful. And so the best case scenario is that you compare them with another member of their own species who will kind of act as a surrogate for them. But if you can't, then that's when humans get involved and we can't create that bond for them. But so uh, a lot of rehabilitation centers kind of are islands into themselves and they don't share this information. So that was really what my research was on, was trying to help them kind of connect and share that information. But there were some fundamental principles that everyone just seemed to reach to this conclusion on their own. And that was that that connection, that bond between parent and infant 
is the most important indicator or one of the most important indicators of success later in life. So that bond is really important. And so, you know, we're talking all the time about how can we create that connection? How can we create that interdependence? Because that is what is important. And nobody is ever talking about independence. You know, (laughs) that's not, that is not valued at all. We really want to see that there is a bond there. There's a connection happening. That's the foundation upon which everything is built. And so then fast forward to having human children (laughs) and everybody's talking about, you know, are they a good baby, quote unquote, you know, are they a good sleeper? Are they, and it's all about how little do they need you? You know, like if they don't need you very much, then they're somehow better off than if they do need you a lot. And that just completely confused me because my whole life I've been working under the assumption that the more they need you, the better they do, you know, that, that need and that connection is so important. And so it was very strange. I couldn't kind of reconcile those two notions at the same time that, you know, that parental care is so important and connection is kind of the center around which all of society is built or all, you know, troop structure is built. And I, I would, I would hope that, you know, connection would be the foundation upon which our more Western societies are built too, but it's not, it's really an independence based one where we separate everybody out. You know, each parent goes to a different job. Each child goes to a different class and grade. They're separated out by age. And it just, it was very strange to me because here we are like being together. The togetherness is the one of the most important things <laughs> to development and success. So that was that was the first thing that really struck me when I had Lila because I really felt um unsupported as a mother. I felt like, you know, uh I was a failure because this baby in front of me was not meeting the she didn't she wasn't by the book, you know, she didn't follow the the systems that were uh laid out in front of me and I couldn't it just didn't make sense. And I remember at one point saying to a friend of mine, if I had never read any of these books, I would have thought we were doing really well. (laughs) But instead, I feel like we're not because she just doesn't stack up against this advice that I'm being given. And late one night, I was up feeding her and I was watching a documentary, a nature documentary, and (laughs) a troop of baboons was on. And it was so familiar to me. I was so recognized them. And I thought, oh, wait, I do know. I do know how to do this. This is like just that being together, that togetherness is just start there. And that's kind of my default now is when I don't know where to go or what to do. It's just the be be together. And so that's another thing that I think that the primate world does is they really value mothers. (laughs) And so. As soon as a female has a baby, her rank within the group goes up, right? Because she, she's creating life. She's creating the next generation. And so she's immediately more valued within the group. And here I am as a human mother feeling like I'm almost devalued because I'm not as an important part of society anymore. Um, you know, kind of go into your corner and raise your children. And um, that, that felt really strange to me because I'm like, no, I have, I have a baby now. Look how important I am. <laughs> yeah. I'm higher ranking now, you know? 
and also females who have babies are also more attractive. So I think we need to bring that back to you. <laughs> Mother, mothers are the most attractive group among the bunch. But I, yeah, so I kind of, with Lila, I, it was almost like a hearkening back to that inner knowing and that, that stillness of being. And I think that when you cut out all of the noise, that was the biggest thing, cutting out all of the external advice and just kind of listening inward of what is, what is my body telling me right now? What is it needing? And most of the time I was just needing to be close to her, you know, when she was crying or she was far away, my heart rate would go up, you know, like there's a biological reason that when our kids are upset, we can't listen to somebody else talking to us. Our brain just kind of shuts off, right? Like there's, there's reasons for that, you know, we're designed to be tuned into our children. And so that was kind of my default that, um, kind of tuning in and that connection and just kind of going back to that when I didn't know where to go from there, because I could see these primate mothers doing that so beautifully. They were just so intrinsically tethered to their children, even when they were far away from them, they just were connected. You could feel it between them. And so that was something I knew I wanted to cultivate with my own human children. (laughs) And, um, and then the last thing that I, I really think about when I think about primates and, you know, those principles that all of the different um, rehabilitation centers kind of knew were, was that um, parental care is a learned behavior. So even though we have this biological inner knowing to our infants, as they get older, really a lot of that, what we learn is through watching others raise their children. And so you really wouldn't, you know, in a zoo setting or in other setting, have any um, females breeding if they hadn't known how to raise an infant because they would probably need a lot of intervention. And so that was a piece that kind of came back into play for me about a year ago when I realized like the, the examples of parenting that I had seen were not the ones that I wanted to emulate, you know, the, the environment I grew up in. And, um, you know, just the kind of general parenting around me. And so when the Living Joyfully Network started and all of a sudden I was hooking into all of these other unschooling families and seeing them raising their children the way that I wanted to be raising my children, that was like the missing piece for me. And I think it is, you know, it's it's a true for all primates. We want to see others raising children the way that we want to be raising them. And so that was like a huge step for me, a huge unlocking was watching and reading about all of these other families and what they're doing and the challenges they're facing and how they went about it, because it kind of reinforced for me what I wanted to be doing. And it made it so much faster to like access that place when I felt a little bit out of step from it. Seeing other people talking about their connections made me go, oh, right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm in this too, you know, and it made it much easier for me to go back and reaccess that place that I wanted to be parenting from because I had those examples. So, yeah. So those are just, I mean, I could go on. <laughs> those are just some of the ways. <laughs> At some point, we'll just give you an hour, two hours and, and <laughs> I could listen to that forever that is so fascinating and I do love the piece about wanting to um, learn and and see other um, families with this in action because I'm remembering when I was newer too 
And I just insatiably wanted to like, you know, at the time they were, um, you know, email lists and stuff like that, that unschooling families were connecting through. And I wanted to read about families with older kids, families with kids, you know, with different personalities, different interests. It didn't matter because you were discovering what's at the root. Like, I just love it that you went to all these different rehab centers and they had kind of found the roots independently. Right. Mm-hmm. That that connection, that that maternal bond, like they had found those roots by themselves just by watching their troops or whatever uh, animals in action. Right. And that was what I was getting by seeing all these other unschooling families in action. I was seeing the really important roots, the relationship, the connection that all these things that were happening to in all these different families. That's what was working for them. That's what was helping them move through these moments when we're like, ah, something's weird, something, something's off or something's not working. Getting back to that connection, getting back to engaging with our kids, right? Because we can get stuck in our head when we're starting to worry about something. But yeah, I never heard about it in that context. That's brilliant, Allie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, we do get uh, kind of stuck in like the kind of more not superficial, but like top layer of it, where we look at other people doing things like, you know, painting or whittling or some cool activity with sea glass or whatever it may be. And you think, oh, well, that's really cool. That's what I should be doing. But no, it's, it's that it's not what they're doing. It's who they are to each other. It's that, you know, deeper level of that connection that regardless of what they're doing it. And for us, a lot of the times it looks like sitting on the couch watching YouTube videos together. But it's that that connection to each other, that kind of tether that I was talking about, you see these primate mothers have with their children. And so, you know, it could be any activity, but it's the, yeah, it's that being, that uh, stillness of being together that I, I just, I love seeing other parents doing and it, it just helps me click back into it so well. Yeah. Two things bubbled up for me there. Number one, <laughs> took me right back to your story about Lila and thinking, oh, you know, she should be having more fun there because they're doing the painting, they're reading stories, they're doing all these cool things, that surface level stuff that we think, oh, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. And yet she's pulling and wanting the connection, right? So that's a really cool piece. And it's also why I love the intro parts because I love with different families sharing what everybody's interested in. I love to see the variety. So I hope that it helps people realize that the cool individual things that they are interested in, that's what the value is. Like when not everybody's coming with all the same things, there's no like expectation. There's no judgment of what the interests are. It's, it is a beautiful way to look at who they are, right? The things that they're drawn to help express who they are when they have that judgment-free space to explore on their own, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's so beautiful. Okay, so um, in the network a few months ago, you shared this really great idea that I was hoping you could talk about here, and it was the idea of very important sitting. Can you explain what that means? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, this is another thing I've stolen from the private world. <laughs> but, um, you know, that kind of just that being, that, that art of the stillness of being together. 
And um, I think you can find a lot of people who work with wild animals are very good at kind of at least faking that like deep inner calm that kind of where, you know, you don't want to be moving a lot. You don't want to be doing too much. You want to be quite still and just present and aware of what's going on around you. And when we are weaning baboons into a troop, <laughs> um, what happens is they start to go for almost like day visits where they co go off your body and they go start playing and they're excited to be in the group with other babies. And then what happens is the second you stand up or move to even like shifting into a standing position, they're like, what? And they run back to you and jump back on you. Like, where are you going? You know, it's that tether, that anchor to each other. And um, so it, it was really funny to me, you know, because it just it interrupts their flow. It interrupts their play. And um, with I did that a bit with Lila, where I realized that just sitting, just sitting and being in her space and in a kind of designated spot so that she could just kind of orbit around me and do things. I did a bit with her, but with Hazel, it was very clear to me. Like I could just see, it was like, it was that baboon. It was the same exact behavior of you. I need you to be in this spot on the couch. So I know that you're here, no more running about. And I'm going to play with my toys or do whatever I need to do. And I just need you to be here. And I, so I kind of intuitively knew that that's what she was doing because I've spent a lot of time with looking at nonverbal communication, you know, and so I knew that's what she was looking for. But I started calling it my very important sitting time because it was a way for me to kind of signal to myself that what I was doing was very important. And it's so easy to be just internalizing this like, oh, I'm being lazy by sitting here and just like, reading a book or knitting or doing something instead of, you know, there's dishes in the sink, there's laundry to be done, dinner's not finished, all of these things that somehow feel like they're more important, but aren't really, you know? <laughs> and so by calling it my uh, very important sitting, you know, it's time, time to go do some very important sitting, usually right around dinner time and in the evenings are two pretty guaranteed very important sitting times. Um, and so I started calling it that because it gave me permission to just let go of all of the other things and go, this is what's important right now. And so I was very intentionally and vocally calling it that. Yes. <laughs> so I know that. And then I also helped Glenn, I think, because it was his way to he calls it that, you know, he's like, oh, I think it might be time for some very important sitting. Um, it was his way to signal to me, this is okay with what you're doing. I, I also agree that it's important what you're doing right now and so it's just kind of almost like a little uh signal to each other between us that like this is where I'm needed right now and this is the most important thing I can be doing right now and so that was how the kind of the phrase came about was so that I would feel like um I've given myself permission that this is this is the space that my children need me in right now yeah, yeah. I loved that so much and it's so interesting because we know, like, that's how you got to the very important piece, because it is, we know it's very important in the longer term, right? Being with our children, that connection, supporting them, how they need support, or else she'd be following you around, you know, trying to grab your attention as you're doing the dishes, you know, following you into the laundry room, trying to grab your attention. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll just sit and be. Yet, mm -hmm. it's so easy to get caught up in those short term 
productivity things like doing the dishes and the laundry, like those, I should be doing those because those give me that short-term hit of accomplishment or I can prove to my husband or partner or my mom when she calls that I got all the things done. (laughs) But to give yourself permission for those things that are in the longer term, more important, right? Because the dishes will be there. The laundry will be there. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever will be there. But those times to connect with our kids in the way that they're needing it in the moment, we're that's long-term building of trust, right? Mm-hmm. And of connection and respect. Like just by sitting there nearby her when she's wanting just your presence, like how much respect for her needs does that show? Mm-hmm. Like, and that is so valuable and so important. So yeah, I love the tweak of just calling it very important because it's just a reminder, even for yourself, right? As you said, this is an important thing for me to do, even though from the outside looking in, people would think I'm doing nothing or being lazy Mm -hmm. or having an excuse or whatever, but it is such a great reminder that these moments are really valuable. Well, uh, yeah, and it, that's the thing is that laundry can be done later and you can, you know, like order takeaways if you need to or, you know, whatever it might be. But even when you miss enough of those opportunities uh, for connection, it's really hard to rebuild that, you know, and it's that it's it really is the most important thing to me is that my children feel like they can trust me and rely upon me and that I am there for them and that. I don't want to have to try and dig into that when they're older and kind of go backwards. I want it to already be there, you know, so as they move forward. And I think I'm quite lucky because I've raised so many monkeys that I know how much they need me. And I kind of came into parenting with the expectation that I would be needed and that they are my first priority. And also, you know, from a biological perspective that they are the you know they are the most important thing in my world you know and so that connection is kind of everything and you know when they're older I'm sure laundry will be easier and when you know there will be future times for all of those things but I I don't want to miss those opportunities for you know that connection and that safety and that confidence now it'll be much harder to do that than it will be to like get into a cooking routine yeah Yeah. and it all goes back to what you were talking about before too which I loved is just is paying attention to them like you noticed Mm -hmm. the cues and put together you know the clues of what was going on to realize that this is what she was looking for because you know often our kids even if they are actively verbal might not be might not get Mm -hmm. really what they want it's for you to say, like some, some will be able to say it. Some might process it and figure it out that way, but it is so valuable for us to be watching for the clues to not to um, look at the motivations behind what they're saying, like the words they're choosing, but we know Mm -hmm. our kids and how they're using language and what they mean more deeply than just the surface again of what the words are. Right. Yeah, well, with Lila, you know, she has an excellent vocabulary, but sometimes when you're in those heated moments or just emotional upheaval, she can't really ask for, you know, that kind of level of energy and attention. And so she, you know, doesn't want me to give her a hug and she doesn't want me to touch her, and she, but she doesn't want me to go away, you know? And so it's that, it's that very important sitting thing. It's that 
holding space and just sitting there and being there and not giving too much energy and attention onto that, but just being around and being aware of like the whole environment that's happening and just kind of sitting there. And it was, it was such a strange feeling for me when I realized like, oh, this is what I've been doing (laughs) so long, you know, like when you're sitting in an enclosure with a whole bunch of animals, you can't, I mean, there weren't phones really back then anyway, like cell phones the way there are today. But, um, you know, there you couldn't have a book. They would pick the book up and rip it to pieces. You couldn't <laughs> be doing anything else with your energy other than just sitting there and being. And how quickly you just tune into that space. You know the dynamics of everything that's playing in there. And it's so easy to hold the energy and emotions of someone else when you're just kind of sitting and being in that in their presence and I found that it looks like I'm not doing anything (laughs) usually I'm doing something right Um, because I'll just be sat there with her while she's just going through this roller coaster of feelings and I'm just kind of sat there very calmly very still and letting her go through that and knowing that like having me there that tether that anchor that's holding that space for her is what brings her through that moment, you know? And um, yeah, yeah, that's definitely something I kind of, when I, I get out of step, I look at other primates doing and they do that very well. <laughs> that is so cool. And I mean, that reminds me, that was, because my kids went to school for a few years, right? I guess um, Joe was in grade four, Lizzie was in grade two and Mike was in JK. But anyway, that was very much um, the way that I discovered was best for helping Lissy through large emotions for a while. Like, like you said, if I don't do it now, you know, I'll have to do it later. So we did, you know, that's what we discovered has, and probably a, another reason why we cocooned for months, basically when we first came home, because we had all that work to do. We had to really learn about each other, learn who, who we were, what we loved to do, how we were going to relate to each other, how we were going to help each other through those hard moments. And I discovered, you know, those very similar things, just being with them without the touch, without even the words, but still needing to be there with the energy, with that Mm -hmm. calm presence, right? That they could feel even while they were storming. So yeah, that was Mm -hmm. was really fascinating. Thank you for sharing it it's it is really really interesting and that being so it's almost like creating that space for them too to be who they are in our presence it really it really gives them that space and i think you mentioned the word safety i think that's another piece of it too like um, even the safety to explore their world or their play or the things that they're doing and knowing that you're right there, like that safety can also help them kind of push their own boundaries as well. Even if it's just the boundaries in their head, the boundaries in their play, putting things together in new ways that can feel scary. So having that presence can be helpful that way as well. So interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so with two younger kids, um, I know that days can feel long and they can feel hard. And, you know, sometimes we get takeaway and, you know, sometimes, you know, the place is messy and we just 
drop on the floor, the couch, fall asleep, whatever. <laughs> um, it's our our self-care too is also important for ourselves during this time to help us. Like it would be hard to do that very important sitting if we have no energy reserves left to have that calm presence to help ourselves settle into that um, moment. So I would be really curious to hear your thoughts around self-care and what that looks like for you right now. Yeah, I used to have a very strange relationship with like even the term self-care because it kind of conjured up images for me of like going to get a massage or something, you know, like move it, something external. But actually the biggest part of self-care for me has been a lot of internal work. And one of the biggest things for me has been just like giving myself permission and kindness to just be okay when things are all kind of all over the place and we don't need to be in constant state of flow and happiness and excitement and the next thing and that sometimes things are hard and (laughs) there's quiet moments and just sitting in that stillness and being okay and not chasing after the kind of this Pinterest dream of what what my family should look like or what I I this kind of false expectations of what I should be doing and actually like being okay when things aren't really okay you know and just being calm and knowing that it's a rhythm and it's a cycle and that it comes back again and I don't have to chase after it that it actually will be and I think settling into that stillness and those those quieter moments has been a huge part of my like self-care and mental health because you know, it makes it so much easier to access that happiness again, when you're just letting those expectations go and not expecting yourself to be happy as like something on a to-do list, you know, like one more thing that you have to be doing. Not only do I have to, you know, <laughs> but I better get that back in there. Or it kills me, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I better also be like super excited about it, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, it's okay to not do that don't put it on your to-do list you know and um that was huge and it just made it it just was a huge weight off of me and it made it so much easier for me to like dive into those moments and and appreciate when they came back again because they always did and that was just like that let it be it'll come you know um feeling was huge for for me for my self-care And then uh, on a more practical, like day-to-day standpoint, a lot of the things we do are just doing things in very, very small bits. So I kind of have really simplified like cooking and things like that for me, where I know Mondays is some sort of pasta thing, Tuesdays is like a curry thing. And when I wake up in the morning to like get my coffee, I'll take out the rice and the tin of beans and, you know, and a few things and just put them on, then that's it, you know, like two seconds, just put them out. And then Throughout the day, I might be making someone a sandwich or I might be doing something else and I might just pour those things into a saucepan or I might chop one piece of broccoli, you know, and every time I'm walking down the hall, I might grab a piece of laundry or, you know, it's just just little, little bits and not making them big goals and just kind of taking them as they go, because by the end of the day, a meal has appeared, you know, (laughs) And also because that time right before dinner is usually a very important sitting time. And so it, it was, it would have just been making me feel so stressed and anxious to try and be cooking and trying to give that attention to Hazel and, 
you know, it just, that wouldn't have worked out at all. And it would have just caused so much more pressure on my day. So just doing things in little bits and then also being okay when they just don't pan out, you know, <laughs> like being okay. Like we've got 90% of a meal made, but let's go get just like, you know, <laughs> fries from the fish and chip shop or something, you know, like that's going to be dinner tonight and we'll finish cooking this tomorrow. Um, so yeah, just being really light and really easy, very little to do's and expectations, doing things in tiny bits. And then a big piece that's recently come in for Glenn and I, we were kind of repuzzling our days and thinking, how do we, Glenn and I want to, um, you know, feel good in our bodies. And one of them was exercise. And so Glenn started going to the gym again, and we found times in the day that would work well for him to do that. And we got an elliptical cross trainer machine for me because I knew I couldn't well I mean I could but I didn't want to be away I didn't want to go to the gym and I wanted to be here so that if people needed me to pop in they could and so usually our routine now is that Lila will be in the office because Glenn usually works from home and she works from home with him and she's got her little set up with snacks and she brings the activities she wants so cute and she's like super excited about working from home with him while Hazel has a nap and I go uh, have like a little workout and there's really no expectation on what I do I just enjoy like putting on some music and just going for a bit and I found it's made a huge difference to that like tail end of my day where I just have a lot more energy and a lot more like you were saying with the summoning that energy to give because it's I feel like I've filled up the well a bit you know my cup's been filled up a bit with that that time and What's beautiful about having, we just, you know, we waited for ages to get an exercise machine because we thought, oh, well, we'll just go to the gym. We could maybe get a babysitter or, you know, and finally we're like, no, let's just do it the way that we know will work for us. And even on days when Lila can't be with Glenn, she can, she's happy to like, we have a bed and it's our electricals in our second bedroom, guest bedroom sort of place. Um, and so she'll just hang out on the bed and watch a show or do something else. Or, you know, some days it doesn't happen till later. And it's just we have all this freedom to kind of puzzle it in the way that works best for us. Um, and that's really exciting that we've kind of given ourselves permission to, like, also take care of ourselves. <laughs> I know that sounds strange, but like, you know, we were so focused on, you know, this unschooling life being amazing for our children, you know, that it would it would be giving them permission to follow their joy and follow their passions. But when we realized, oh, wait, we get to do that too. You know, it's for us too. And we can find ways to find, find you know, joy in our days and make the days work for us. And we can all make it work as an unschooling family, not just unschooling children. That was when like everything really clicked into place for us. You know, was, that's the huge part of self-care. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is brilliant, Allie. I have goosebumps listening to that story. Because, and the, those were so many of the pieces that um, came together for me. Like the big one, like of not giving everything like a big job, doing it, doing it throughout the day. It's like, oh, I need this time for the laundry. I need to, I need to put it on the schedule and, you know, give myself this time to do this thing, Right. And then you get frustrated when something else comes up during that time. I went through that cycle of learning like so <laughs> many times those first few years. And you know what? Even now, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that, 
don't make it a thing. Don't make it this big thing that I need to dedicate this time to. There really are so many ways that you can do a little bit here, a little bit there, just as it flows through. And it takes the pressure off of it, right? Like even as you said with the exercising, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen at this time. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't look this way. But it's something that you're enjoying and you're giving a priority to. And then you're seeing where it flows in. And maybe some days it's five minutes and other days it's 20 minutes, you know, and it's like, it's that whole judgment piece working through that, you know, not only is it okay for us to do it, like this is the uh, the family that's unschooling, because that's also Mm -hmm. a great example for your kids eventually, you know, just to get the message through the way your family lives and learns together, that it's not just something that the kids do. It's a way of living. Like I'm going to be able to live like that as an adult as well. Like my interests and the things that I would like to do have value no matter my age. (laughs) And not only that it's important to meet your own needs, but you can meet your own needs without sacrificing the needs of others. That was the big pit is knowing that this is, you know, my children still need me to be here or we still need that. And so it's not just about like, setting these boundaries that we need to do meet our needs instead of meeting their needs, but together meeting all of our needs. And I love that because it's like giving them permission as they get older to take care of themselves, but also being respectful of the people around them and the way that they do it, you know? Yes. And I love you talked about it as, you know, as a puzzle and putting yeah. pieces of the puzzle together. And it's, and, you know, I kind of think of a day, as a puzzle and just see, you know, sometimes you don't get pieces in and again, it's okay. And it's just so at this point, it's just so fun, right. To see how the day unfolds, (laughs) to see how those pieces of the sitting come up. And that reminded me because I used to, Lissy used to really love me. I felt like for a year to go in in the morning when she woke up with a coffee Mm. and just sit with her for sometimes it was 20 minutes. Sometimes it was an hour. We just put music on and chat. She'd like come running out. I'm awake and run back into her room so that I could get (laughs) coffee and bring in. And like there, it's just so beautiful. You're paying attention and giving it value, right? Yeah. It it was be, And I had those same things, you know, because I was in the middle of doing something when she came out and, and I would remind myself, no, this is important. This is connection. This is just space. And, you know, very often we weren't talking about big things or anything like that, but we were just having that time together. You know, maybe we'd have music, maybe we'd be talking about the musicians, you know, just, just whatever conversation bubbled up, but it was that space for it. But anyway, yeah, that, that was part of the puzzle of putting that, of that, how that day went together. It was just so fun to see how things unfold. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so what is your favorite thing about how your days are flowing right now? I mean, I think we, we, we just talked about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's that. The, we can uh, live out our days without the rushing is huge for me. You know, we are not morning people. Lila can sleep till, you know, 1030 in the morning sometimes. And Glenn is the same. So it works out really well. 
Um, but, you know, we've got nowhere to be out the door at a certain time. And if the best part of our day is happening at 1130 at night, we have no expectation that we need to go to bed. You know, there's just no rushing to get places and be doing things. And we've intentionally set up our labs right now that we don't have a lot of external commitments. So the day can just kind of flow however we want it to. And I love that you just never know what the <laughs> day might be. It could be anything. And, you know, one day we're exploring the solar system and the next day, like under the duvet is like under the ocean. And, you know, it just, you just never know what's going to happen or you know, they might say something or watch something and that just leads us down this incredible rabbit hole. And so I I love that on like that one layer. And then I also, my favorite thing about that flow is like what it means on a deeper layer, which is that there there's that safety that you were talking about, that they just, you seeing them have the confidence to just navigate their lives and that kind of feeling that, you know, we've got them and we're in this supportive bubble where they can be themselves and they can find out what they want and that they're supported and bolstered up by us. And yeah, it just, it's that feeling of seeing them being, and I think I see this with pretty much every unschooling child I've met, is that they are just these, you know, so different in interests and hobbies and everything, but there's this common thread that they are just these like bright, shining beams of light you know they are just so close to their authentic selves and know themselves so deeply and I just I love seeing that in my kids and I also love how as a family we even when days are hard we just have this really easy access to joy you know it's 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 always right below the surface even when we're having a hard week like we can just access this joyful, playful space so easily. And I always look forward to every day because even if we wake up and we're having a rough time, you never know when it's going to change or be different and that they have the tools to find that, you know, because they're in the safe, confident space, you know. So, yeah, I love that. <laughs> That is wonderful. Yeah, I really do think that safe space because, you know, you imagine more conventionally, there is so much of the, no, don't do that. Come do this right now. You need to do this. And it's about shaping them into uh, another person, like the parents' mm -hmm. expectations that now they should be able to do this. Now you need to listen to me, do what I say, all that Versus the exploration of who they are and expressing that and um, being able to explore. Like you just see them exploring. They are just the most curious scientists. <laughs> In that safe space, it's just, like you said, one day it's space, one day it's under the ocean. It's just yep. incredible to watch them in action, isn't it? And the insights. I mean, like it's just they are they're both philosophers, you know, they just have these incredible wisdom. And I think that for me, that they have the confidence and safety and um, feeling that they can come to me with those things is so mm -hmm. exciting. And I want to keep that. And I think when you put that control in and the kind of control piece, it takes away it automatically, there's a judgment system on their time regardless of what it is. And then it, it, it kind of creates that disconnect. And then 
I want them to always feel like I'm the person they want to come to and tell these exciting things to and that if they're having a hard time, they can come to me and I'm going to be someone who will hear them and not judge them. And so I think like all of that is the foundational right now, you know, going back to the primate thing, that connection, that's the, that's the foundation for everything that comes in the future. And so feeling it like it's almost this physical bond you know, between us, this connection that we have with each other and how we kind of all dance around each other throughout our days. It's just, it's, it's super magical. And I remember it's like, you know, a year ago, listening to your podcast, thinking, will I ever feel this way? I don't know. Is this something that we can do? Everybody just seems like, you know, they're in on the secret of, you know, joy within their families. And when, it started to just flow. We started to let go of all these perceptions of what should we should be and just start being ourselves with each other and kind of letting go of all of that other noise is when it just started to all just flow together. We were just reacting to the people in front of us and not the people we thought we should be to each other. And that was like, that was it. That was the best bit. <laughs> Oh, that is amazing. Thank you so much, Allie, for taking the time to speak with me. It was so much fun. Thank you. (laughs) Before we go, where can people connect with you online? I'm I'm not really on very many social media platforms anymore. I found it it just I didn't have the energy for it. But I'm uh, definitely in the Living Joyfully Network. (laughs) There you go. You can definitely find me there. And um, I, yeah, I can give you my contact details as well. If anybody um, to put in the show notes, if anybody wants to get in touch. Yeah, sure. That's what I'll do. Yes. Yeah, so if somebody finds your primatology background, I'm very curious. Which yeah. I loved hearing about um, how those things weave together in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that was <laughs> fascinating to me. And I, <laughs> I can just imagine you just excitedly sharing all these little bits and pieces of connections <laughs> you see with Glenn. There she goes again. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice finding other parents who actually are like, oh, that's cool. And Glenn's like, oh, gosh. Oh, no, not again. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Allie. Have thank a wonderful you. Day. You too. Bye. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the wonderful archive of earlier podcast episodes. The conversations never go out of date. And you can find more information about my books, my Patreon community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit at my website, livingjoyfully.ca. Have a great day.